welcome to another episode of Latino Debt Connection Podcast. My name is Efrain Reyes, and I am your host to this podcast. Here at Latino Debt Connection, our mission is to inspire brown fathers to move forward and create their own legacy. And our vision is to create a community of fathers that are here to support each other in this fatherhood journey. Today, I have a very special treat on this podcast. I get to interview my compadre, Al Martinez, uh, which I have connected with through our circles that we run in person. He was also part of our eight-week program that we have for fathers. And he's been very open and vulnerable about his story. Al is a musician, has been a musician for over 25 years, really started when he was a teenager, playing in different bars, touring all over the USA and in uh, Europe as well. Uh, with several bands. One of those bands was uh, his brothers, uh, well, playing with his brothers uh, as, part of the pattern of, as part of the band. And in this episode, uh, Al shares a little bit about his musical career. He shares a little bit about the relationship that he has with his brothers and also his transition of becoming a father um, during the pandemic, right? And and how he has been able to transition now as being a full-time stay-home dad. Um, another note that I want to add uh, about this episode that Al is actually the author and the creator of the of the intro song that uh, you know we hear in the Latino Dad Connection podcast. So I'm very thankful about that. Uh, very thankful to have compadres that are willing to support. Um, Latino Dad Connection, and that's one of the, our missions here, is really to create a space by fathers for fathers. So I encourage you to listen to the whole episode and see what nuggets you really can take away from, from this. Lastly, I want to share that we have up, upcoming events on June 11th, as we are getting ready to celebrate Father's Day and think about all the contributions that fathers uh, make in our in, in the daily life of families. It's important for us as fathers to take some time for ourselves, give ourselves some self-care. I want to invite you, if you're around uh, Riverside, we will be uh, having a Compadres Connection Circle from uh, eight, on June 11th from 8 in the morning to 11. So this is an opportunity for us to really let our guard down and share our truth and connect with other fathers um, to be to move forward in our in our journey. And also we will be having a two-day event in July. So if you're ready to dive a little deeper into yourself, connection with yourself and improve your relationships uh, with your partner and with your children, I encourage you to join us on July 8th and 9th. We're gonna be camping out in Lake Elsinore we're going to be having a lot of great uh, ceremonies and a lot of great connections uh, for us to continue this healing journey. So if you're interested in any of that, make sure to uh, follow us on Instagram at Latino Deck Connection underscore. And then also you can visit our website, latinodeckconnection.org. All right. With that, let's get to our episode. For we go into all that. Al, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you very much for allowing me to be here and share this space with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share uh, who I am and, and parts of my story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, parts of your story. And that's a that's a really deep question. Who is Al Martinez? Uh, you know, we're not going to have time to share everything. But if you can give an overview to the listeners of you know, who you are, maybe some of the things that you have gone through, maybe de donde eres, de donde son tus papas, you know, anything that you want to share to yeah. really get some idea of who you are. Um, yeah, so, you know, what? I'm still trying to figure out who I am, I'm mm. 43 and still trying to figure out life, you know, Yeah. Uh, but um, so my parents, so we'll start with that. My parents, uh, both of them are, were born in Mexico. Mm. Um, my mom was born in Merida, Yucatan. My dad was born in Guadalajara, Jalisco. Um, and they both moved over here when they were like infants. So they basically grew up here, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, and they've both been living here since like the 1950s, you know. 
so they grew up here in like the 60s and 70s they met in college you mm -hmm. know my brother came along i came along and then our our younger brother came along you know yeah so this is um you know a good while back but um that we grew up in hacienda heights and it was a very it was a good place to grow up yeah. but it was um a very assimilated culture there like okay. if you didn't kind of assimilate you didn't really fit in you know mm. but it was very safe there was not really anything that was really stand out i mean just good education good schools and all that and that's yeah. kind of how we grew up and 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 that's fine but i always had this struggle of identity even when i was a kid like mm. Uh, you know, uh, my parents say we're Mexican, but we're not Mexican like the kids at school that are Mexican that speak Spanish only, you know, but mm. and even and even so, like we never spoke Spanish at home. My parents met in like the 1970s and like coming off of that, like in the 60s, you couldn't speak Spanish in schools here. Like it was not really, it was kind of looked down upon. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then I found something out as well. My grandma, my mom's mom she used to tell my cousin don't speak spanish to me in 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 public you have to speak mm. english to me you know we're in front of people so it was something that was very much like a very different way of being raised than you know mm -hmm. being able to embrace your culture fully so uh i don't know just some interesting stuff about that so i really didn't even start speaking spanish until i was more of more of an adult and uh and i think it's a really important aspect of the culture yeah of, of mexican culture but i don't feel that bad because my ancestors before you know go back enough generations my ancestors didn't speak spanish they spoke uh either probably nahuatl or uh or mayan so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly <laughs> so I, I i don't feel that bad for speaking for not speaking spanish 100 percent completely fluently since birth so yeah not a bad thing i can still communicate yeah no i heard you bro i heard you speak spanish i think yo pienso que hablas muy muy bien for, mm. for not being that your first language you know um, and I hear the the process of um, or the the struggle of identity, you know, and uh, having your parents assimilate, right? And how did that play a factor into who you are today? And I think that's one of the things that I love about you is that you're always like learning and wanting to learn more about your culture, your cultura, your identity. And a big part of that that I see is you do that through music, right? How do how does music come into play into this um, idea of identity, especially in the the Mexican or Latino culture? Um, it's a big part because, well, okay. So we started playing like the whole point why we started playing music and our whole reason why me and my brother and our, our other friend started playing music was mm. because we wanted to play rockabilly music mm. which is like kind of strange like 1950s southern uh you know music that was popular there you know and it was mm. a very short snippet of like a subgenre of rock and roll kind of mm. you know mm -hmm. so that was what we wanted to play and then eventually we started playing in a band and and we had an accordion player and this was probably late nineties and we were playing, we started playing some cumbias. We, we started playing some polkas and like, kind of mm. like, kind of a little bit more kind of Tejano kind of conjunto style, a little mm. bit more like that. Um, and just like, you know, different kind of roots, Americana roots music. Mm. Um, and then in about 2000, we started I sat in with the band that my brother and our bass player were playing in mm. and and I was like hey let's play a cumbia so we played a cumbia and like in the rockabilly scene it just like kind of hit mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then after that, at all the gigs, everybody started asking for more and more cumbias. So we eventually started kind of this subgenre of rockabilly called cumbia billy. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, it was something that really I like a lot of people are able to identify with, you know, um, because sheesh, practically all of the people in the rockabilly scene in in the early 2000s and even you know till now there's there's a good majority that are of latino descent you know Mm. so i like the rockability music but i also have this recollection of hearing you know the other songs that you guys sing growing up you know is what people would tell us you know Mm. Mm -hmm. so it was like this kind of nostalgia for a lot of people and then doing my research so we played a lot of songs by uh you know like mickey laure who's a a recording artist from mexico Mm. and he was from jalisco uh i think he was born in mascota but he actually got popular in chapala and his first band that he started was mickey laure y sus cometas which is like basically he was playing bill haley music so bill haley and the comets like like rock, rock around the clock that guy mm. mickey laura was trying to be like bill haley but then there was the music from colombia that came up and started you know becoming popular in, in mexico and and that was cumbia mm. so mickey laura started combining like the cumbia and the rock and roll and that's how he got kind of very well known in chapala and actually, I went to Lago de Chapala, and I went to the club that he played at. Like, for me, that was kind of like a, a pilgrimage, you know? Mm, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, he was probably the first one to kind of mix, like, the rock and roll and the cumbia. And he was actually the first Mexican artist to record a cumbia as well. Mm. So um, I think uh, if you don't know who Mickey Laura is, look up the song Tiburón. So the song Tiburon, 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 yeah. Tiburon. That's that's Mickey Laura. Mm, yeah. uh, so that was kind of important to me. Actually, now that I think of that, even before then, um, probably the first musical icon that I can remember just being infatuated with was Richie Valens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know he was he was from california but he was of mexican descent yeah and he had the first like top hit in the united states in spanish it was la bamba with la bamba yeah so i mean uh you know i mean that's a huge that's a huge accomplishment and he was a teenager you know so that that movie la bamba came out when i was a kid I was like seven, maybe. And that probably is what uh, ruined my life and influenced me to play music. (laughs) And I just wish that there was like some sort of representation, man. If there was like a, uh, oh, there's a famous Mexican scientist. There was a movie about him in the 80s. I would have been like, oh, wow, I want to be a scientist. You you would have been a scientist right now. (laughs) Yeah, I would have been a scientist. But it was because like the representation, there was only only Richie Valens that we knew about. Yeah, so, you're like, oh, yeah, he's Mexican. Oh, yeah, I want to do that. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely, brother. That's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And it's it's interesting how, you know, as cultures and different uh, people come together, also the music is mixed, right? There's that, that fusion of songs, the fusion of the rhythm, the fusion of, of cantos, right? And it really becomes... A part of the culture uh you know i can think about me cumbias is part of a big part of my culture uh you know i was born in mexico city where like sonideras is huge right sonideras salsa all of that uh and for example for my wife she's from guerrero and it's like they don't do as much as that they do more of like the um uh, we just call it música de tierra caliente, it's just like a r- different rhythm, you know, different type of of culture. Um, and then just mixing all these different 
um, instruments, right? That are might might be from a specific um, uh, place, you know, from a specific place, and and coming it together, right? And I think that's one of the things that you did with our intro song, like the inspiration for our intro song was. Well, I'll I'll let you kind of share that. Like, where is that? There's like some some fusion there, right? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's just from okay. So I will preface this with, um, I love music and I love culture. Mm. Um, so the only thing that was able to kind of keep my interest long enough for me to get my bachelor's bachelor's degree was getting my bachelor's in ethnomusicology, which is basically like world music or the study of culture through music, mm. or the study of music through different cultures, kind of just different ways to look at it. Yeah. Um, so becoming very aware of like the nuanced differences between all of the different types of music and Mexico has tons of different types of music. It's very much like you sit like, you know, you used to go to tower records back in the day and you'd see Mexican regional music. Mm -hmm. What the hell does that mean? Well, it just means that like every single region of Mexico has their different music. Yeah. And, uh, Musica regional. Mm -hmm. so what they listen to in Sonora is not what they listen to in Oaxaca what they listen to in Yucatan is not what they listen to in in Sinaloa you know yeah. like it's yeah. just it's just different it's just based on all the different regions everything is different so with that song I kind of had an inspiration from um, uh, some cumbia sonidera so mm -hmm. that intro part is cumbia sonidera, but then like the second part that I kind of put in there is um, took a little bit of influence from uh, musica jarocha from Veracruz. Mm. So just kind of like how you play the requinto jarocho, I kind of applied it to guitar. And then like the third section in there, I kind of took from gypsy jazz. Like there is this... Uh, this subgenre of jazz in Europe, and it's played by um, Romani people, which we call them gypsies, but that's not really a, I guess, correct term, right? So mm. they're known as as Romani. Um, so that I took that third section in there, and then the kind of solo section, the fourth section in there that I kind of threw in there came from kind of like a, a Montuno section from like kind of Cuban music so going yeah just playing a montuno kind of you know so it's like a different thing so i kind of just mashed it up all together and put it into one song so <laughs> i love it man i love it and it when i heard it it just brought back like memories i, I can definitely hear that sonidera but it, like it feels different it sounds different but i like it you know there was a lot of like good good feelings from it so i, I really appreciate that and, uh, you know, uh, we got to know each other over the last year. Uh, you shared a lot of things with me. And I think one of the things that uh, really, uh, I think, has sh shaped you, and maybe you can share this with the audience, is, you know, you played music with your brother, right? It was three of you. Is that correct? Yeah. So I've probably been playing in bands with my older brother for closer to 30 years now that wow. I think of it. Um, and then we had a younger brother who played, so my older brother plays drums. Yeah. And then my younger brother played drums. Mm. So, um, so after a little while, my older brother got a bass, but he started playing upright bass and we started playing shows as Martinez brothers. And we probably played like a handful of shows, maybe like four. Mm. And, and then, um, and then unfortunately my younger brother passed away in a car accident, you know? Mm. um so that was you know that was that was very difficult but I had a very hard time with it like it was hard for me to accept it it was hard for me to pe see people like upset and crying because I'm like you have no and this is what I was thinking to myself oh you have yeah. no right to cry he wasn't your brother he was my brother why are you upset I'm not even crying you're crying why you know mm. so I was like really mm. I was really upset 
So it took me like about a year before I was able to really fully accept that he was gone and to actually like break down and cry, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, But the funny thing is ever since then, I've just been like a lot more emotional. Yeah. You know, so like, and I can talk about his passing and, and, you know, I mean, I get, I think about it and I get sad. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing that really like hurts is is not having him around with my daughter. Mm. Yeah, you know, because she's never gonna she's never gonna know him, you know. Yeah, and and he would have been a great uncle. He would have been a really great uncle to her and and to my brothers, my brothers' girls, you know. So that's the thing that I I get like most. Uh, that's what I feel the most now is when I think about him. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, we talked about this before, and every time mm-hmm. you talk about your brother, um, I can tell how much you know you cared about him in some sense you know i heard that we hurt so deeply because we loved so deeply as well you know and he was uh young and had a a lot to continue going um i I will say this though um he was young he was 25 when he passed but he probably lived more life in those 25 years than than any one of us could have hoped Mm. Mm. so he was he was basically up until you know he passed away he was a touring musician so he got to go all over the country multiple times wow with multiple bands he got to do european tours he got to do japanese tours and it was just something that he was he was constantly gone you know 25 years old yeah wow so i feel like um In a sense, the silver lining is him being gone all the time and being on tour, like almost all the freaking time was the fact that we got kind of accustomed to him, accustomed to him not being home. Yeah. So does it make it hurt any less? No. But yeah. is it something that we kind of, you know, grew to accept with him just being gone from touring yeah to a point you know i mean that i I guess it softened the blow a little bit you know Mm. yeah man yeah wow i didn't know about that that he was a touring musician traveled and really at 25 years old that's a a great accomplishment which Mm -hmm. like you said it doesn't make it hurt any less you know um and now you know, you're saying that one of the things that is like kind of difficult is that he's not here with your daughter, not as you have a daughter. Um, well, tell me a little bit about that transition. So you, you know, play music, doing work, and now you become a, a father. Tell me a little bit about, about how that. Yeah. So my, do- my daughter was born when I was 40. You know, like I waited a while. I waited a while to have. Uh, well to have have a kid so my first born child I had when I was 40 I'll be honest she'll probably be the only one because I'm tired (laughs) constantly (laughs) now (laughs) Um, but I think the thing that made it somewhat easier to be able to slow down and become a father was the whole freaking pandemic that really just halted everything Mm. i was working from home we weren't playing music we weren't obviously you know going out of town because yeah prior to this i was playing prior to the pandemic i was playing every single weekend somewhere Mm. uh we were going out of town and doing these weekends probably leaving on a friday and coming back on a sunday or monday like like at least once a month okay so i was constantly gone um and and yeah that just would not work if i if 
I had a child during yeah. that time when I was doing all that. Just, yeah, that would not work, you know. So, I think being home and being accustomed to staying home and being here during like that whole first part of the pandemic was some somewhat of a a, a help, you know, part of the silver lining of all of that. And uh, I mean, I don't think anything has prepared me for becoming a father. All of my life experiences and, and you know, like schooling and everything that I've done. Yeah. Um, like, I will say this, being a dad is harder than getting a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So true. Uh, writing a, writing a, a 80 or 100 page thesis is like nothing compared to the day in and day out of, of parenthood mm, yeah. so um so yeah nothing like that is really going to ever prepare you uh yeah. and i never really i guess i never really stopped and realized how much like of yourself you have to give up mm. to become a parent yeah um and it really caused me to to refocus my life and to prioritize completely differently, you know? Yeah. Um, instead of doing everything for myself now and, and, you know, having my wife with me, but like really just focusing on myself. Oh, what do I want to do? You know? Oh, and my wife too, but what do I want to do? Or what do we want to do? It has nothing to do with us anymore. It's, it's all about... Uh, working as a team to create that support system for each other to take care of our daughter to take care of your daughter that's right yeah so, so but i think the at the basis of that is the relationship with my wife yeah um because if we were two separate entities trying to accomplish a goal of raising our daughter but not communicating, it wouldn't work. Yeah. So I think really that this helped us become a lot closer, my wife and I, and really work together as a team and really look at each other um, to figure out what our needs are and, and really actually changed how we communicate you know and and just shifted all the priorities so I'll, I'll say that like i'm i i really don't even care about going out and playing music that much anymore you know and yeah. it's not that i i don't enjoy it i enjoy it but it takes away from my ability to be the father that i want to be yeah and to be present and connected with my daughter and and my wife you know, so yeah. if I'm going out and playing music and getting home at two or three in the morning and then waking up at like six or seven to take care of my daughter, that's just, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be cranky. It's yeah. just not going to be a good time, you know? Yeah. 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 So, so it really caused me to, to shift my priorities around. I think that's that's probably the best way to say it and and really focus on what's important yeah man thank you so much for sharing that uh love your story uh i think the pandemic uh did shift a lot of things for a lot of people and it really halted and made you i made me look at a, my own reality right and what i wanted my life to look like um you know part of the outcome of the pandemic was this project of Latino Debt Connection and trying to put more of this message out. Uh, for you, it sounds that, you know, it was taking a look at like transitioning to a father and then how, what does that look like for you in your life with what you were doing with music and, you know, being part of uh, different bands and touring and 
going on in the weekends and things like that. Um, and yeah, man, that, that relationship with your partner, I think is very critical and you touched on that, right? Um, I always say that children, um, really test the relationship that, or, 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 or bring up, uh, the truth in the relationship that we have with our partners and either a lot of times, um, can bring us closer together or tear us apart. You know, so it's really that communication, continuing that foundation of communicating with our partner um, so we can, you know, have an environment of safety for our children uh, and love. But, you know, you be, you went from, you know, going, playing music on the weekends and uh, doing all of that and being in that scene to being a dad, but not just a dad, you're a stay-at-home dad, right? And I would love for you to share how was that experience? How was that transition? Was there any difficulties, any uh, things that you've learned about yourself through that? Oh, yeah. It was a tremendously huge learning experience. Um, mm. So I was working from home during the pandemic. Uh, at, well, okay. So I was a, a, an adult ed instructor. So I was teaching um, ESL classes and citizenship classes. So helping people learn English and helping people obtain their U.S. citizenship. Yeah. Um, the hour, I mean, I love the job. I, I really started as a substitute teacher once I got my bachelor's degree. And... Um, and realize, wow, you know what? I don't want to work with kids as much as I enjoy working with the adults because I was studying mm. like in some of the adult school classes too. Mm, I see. And I realized that like I really enjoy like studying with the adults. Maybe I'll just get an adult ed credential instead. So I did that and started teaching classes. And I think this was probably like 2007 and kind of taught on and off for a while. Yeah. And then, um, so I was back teaching in La Puente, the school district in La Puente, and um, taught there probably from like 2000, that, that 2015 school year until 2021. Mm -hmm. And so December of 2021, yeah, I guess it was December 2021. I ended up resigning so I can just take care of my daughter. I mean, that mm -hmm. was basically it because we went back in person um, that August of 2021. Mm. And adult ed is different because you have morning classes, you have afternoon classes, and you have evening classes. Mm. And I only worked four days a week, but I would leave the house at 7 a.m. Uh, I would teach two classes. I would come back about two p.m. and spend maybe three hours at home with my daughter but she was still napping at that point so she was asleep most of the time mm -hmm. and then I would go back to work from like five to nine mm -hmm. so I didn't really I felt like I was not it wasn't the relationship that I wanted to have with my daughter mm. And I felt like me being gone from the house that much was putting all of the parenting responsibility on my wife. And I don't think that was fair, mm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, my mom was here taking care of the baby um, and she would come maybe, I think like three, three days a week. Uh, I didn't work on Fridays. And then my wife would really just schedule like, herself at home all day to not have meetings on Monday so kind of like those three days in the middle of the week my mom was coming and it was just my wife was having a hard time with work from not being able to kind of just dedicate like all of the time to it you know yeah I was I mean not because I wanted to be, but I was kind of just absent because I was at work, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then my mom took a trip. I think she went to Yucatan 
uh, for like two weeks. And um, during that time, my wife stayed home for one week and then I took the other week off and I stayed home, you know, and, and it was during the week that I was home that my wife and I realized, you know what, this is, this is pretty nice to have us both here and taking care of the baby and you're working and it just kind of worked right Mm -hmm. so we took a look at our incomes and we decided that you know what i think um i think i'm going to resign and i'll take care of the baby full time that way Mm. you can focus on working so yeah so starting um yeah january January 2022, I, I resigned, or I, it was December, but January is basically when, like, I was didn't go back to the classroom, yeah. and I just stayed home, and I started taking care of my daughter, and it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a tremendous <laughs> amount of work. Yeah, I think going to work is less work than staying home and taking care of a kid. Yeah, and I can say that from from doing both. Mm. Um, but it's also something that, like, I'll never get these years back. Yes, and I've really been very fortunate to be able to be here with my daughter every day. Yeah, man. Yeah, and um you know, talking about wanting to spend time with my daughter and wanting to connect with her. And, and I mean, that's it. She's, she's at this point, she's almost two and a half. She's a riot. She cracks me up. Um, she always has like different names for me now. So like this week, she kept calling me Papa Donald. So Donald, Donald Duck. <laughs> so she's calling me Papa, Papa, Papa Donald. Okay, uh, I, 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 hopefully it was in Donald Trump. No, Donald Duck. <laughs> Donald Duck. I'm just kidding. So Donald uh... Duck, and then she is Minnie Mouse. So this week, anytime we're playing, I've been Papa Donald, and she's been Minnie Mouse. So That's funny. Another thing that I've been able to do is really just focus on speaking only Spanish to my daughter here at home. Mm. and really giving her that so my daughter really doesn't understand english mm. yeah i can ask her quieres una galleta and she'll say oh sí. but if i ask her do you want a cookie she'll be like what the hell are you talking about what is that <laughs> is this all? yeah that's awesome so, brother and you're you you know like you mentioned spanish was not your first language and uh, you know that's what you are intentionally talking to your daughter in Spanish. Um, yeah. Was there any, um, I know that financially it made sense and you wanted to stay with your daughter, stay home with her and take care of her. Um, was there any like hesitation, uh, just you internally of being a stay-home dad, whether it be uh, like yeah. what, you know, society's telling you or, you know, just you as a, as a man, like, what what was going in internally uh, when you made that decision? I, I feel like at the end of the at the end of the day, I really don't care what other people think or say about me, as long as I know I'm I'm good with myself and mm. I'm good with my wife and mm. my family. Yeah. Say what you want about me but you're not paying my bills you're not living my life yeah so in essence any anything that anybody has to say really doesn't matter because it mm-hmm. doesn't impact me you right. know and how other people choose to live their lives that's fine live your life if it doesn't impact me i don't really care that being said it was a really hard transition for me like after a a, a few months of staying home and taking care of my daughter, I, I, you always hear that like a man's job is to to be the protector and the provider and mm-hmm. work, and that's you know mm-hmm. traditionally how it's been. But that doesn't mean that it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm providing for my family in a different capacity. Yeah. Um. 
but it really took a lot of my identity. It really made me question my identity. It made me question my my uh, masculinity. Um, yeah. And I had to reframe everything of how I, I thought. And it was about, yeah, maybe like about a few months into it, maybe like maybe May, where um, I started feeling some of this stuff kind of catching up to me. Yeah. And that's when I, that's actually when I, I was able to, I think that's when I started like jumping on the online meetings with you guys. And then, yeah. and then eventually the in circles, the in-person circles with you. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of helped me refocus that identity and figure out like what I'm doing is in a sense, revolutionary is what people would say. Like, yeah. Oh, you're a stay at home dad. That's revolutionary. You're changing the world, but I think I just want to be treated as anybody else that takes care of their kids would be treated. If you're going to celebrate me, celebrate all the moms that are doing it. Mm. And if you're not going to celebrate them, then don't celebrate me, you know, because it's difficult work to be a a full-time stay-at-home parent. It just is, you know, and it takes a lot out of you. And you have to really, basically, from whatever time in the morning, sometimes my wife has meetings that start at 8, and she'll be working a lot, and she'll be working until maybe like 7 or so, like at night, you know? And she's mm-hmm. working hard, but then, I mean, I'm working hard, too, taking care of our little uh, our little desoto that we have here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's a handful too, so it's like <laughs> I know they say like the firstborn child is supposed to be like the easy one. Well, no, not really. <laughs> no. She's 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 very strong willed. She's very she wants to be very independent. She's very strong willed and uh and sometimes what she wants to do clashes with what we have to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's not afraid to let us know that uh she does not want to do something so yeah it's a challenge it's a challenge yeah man but i found i found my workarounds my work my way to work around everything to to just make stuff happen with her you know yeah brother thank you for sharing that and you know um i think um yeah we met you around may you know remember you uh, you coming um connecting with us and you know sharing a part of your story being a stay-at-home dad and some of the identity um, struggles that were happening there. Um, and, you know, we welcomed you in as, as, a, as a compadre, as a, as, as a brother. And tell me a little bit about how, how has community, just being in community with other like-minded fathers or just having a safe space for, for you as a dad, as a man, to come and connect and share whatever you're going through at the moment, whether it be with your daughter or with anything else? I think just having that space to feel, um, to feel seen, Mm. to have people hear your story and to, to have people witness you. um, I mean, that's powerful, powerful medicine right there, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and to just be able to speak your piece and sometimes even just saying what, what it is that's bothering you is, medicine enough to be able to really take a step back and look at it from from an outside lens and to see the big picture um so you can kind of like work through it you know i guess i was i guess what it is it's kind of like if you think about it if you're in a maze Mm -hmm. you don't know where to go yeah but having that time and that space to be able to take a, take a step back and look at it, it's like floating above the maze and being mm. able to see where you have to go. Right, right. And I think having the space with the other men, everybody kind of contributes and tells tells you how they get through the maze. Yeah. They're not telling you where to go. Yeah. They're not saying, you should do this, you should do that. They're saying this is my maze and this is how I get through the maze. And you learn Mm. those different tools 
to be able to find yourself through. Mm. And I feel like that's that's what this is for me. Mm. Yeah. That's a great example. I love that. It like really puts it in perspective of like you going through those that maze and you know sometimes you stumble into like uh, a close you know place where you're like okay where do I go from here but instead of like taking that step back and looking at it from like a, a bird's eye view of like oh okay I'm not gonna go through there anymore maybe I can go through here and also have another man like telling you well this is what's working for me um mm-hmm. I love that I love that man all right brother well let's go we're gonna start uh, wrapping it up I have one more question for you um this is a question I asked uh, all the dads that come into this uh, podcast is um, knowing what you know now as a father, if you can have dinner with yourself right before you became a father a um, couple years back, about three years back, um, what would you tell that, that, that person, that Al, uh, if you were just, you know, had some dinner with him, you had to, just give him some words of advice, words of wisdom to get him through through the journey of being a dad. That's a pretty heavy question. Um, I think I would just tell him to just remember to stay focused and to lead, to lead with, um, to lead with love, you know. Mm. Yeah, just lead with love and stay focused because that's really at the end of the day, whatever your goal is, if you're not focused on your goal and if you're not doing it with love, you're not going to arrive. Oof. Yeah, nice and simple. We don't have to complicate it. Lead with love and stay focused on your goal. That's awesome, brother. Wow. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate you being part of our community and, you know, sharing your songs with us and, you know, giving that as a as a way to, to help us uh, put this podcast together. So is there anything else you would like to share with the audience? Any projects you're working on? Anything that, any last message you want to share? No, I mean, honestly, I've just kind of been taking a step back from music for for the moment to really just focus on these. I think there's no, there's no replacement for being present. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I think right now my main focus in life is just, um loving my family you know yeah. having that connection with my wife and and raising my daughter to the best of my abilities with the tools that i have um you know that's my focus right now so the music will come back we'll be able to rebuild that eventually but for now i'm just taking a step back from that and, and uh yeah it'll eventually come back so i'm not too worried about it yeah brother yeah those years uh especially those first years of your uh children's life so precious will never come back so i'm glad you're you know you're doing what you have to 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 be with your daughter and i know that she will appreciate it um as she gets older having a lots of memories with you at the zoo at disneyland and just different things so Muchas gracias, hermano. Thank you so gracias, much. Perfect. And remember, Thank you. just show, compadre. <laughs>